Amen. From Philippians 2, uh, verse 8, and I'll be reading from the ESV. And being found in human form, he humbled himself <clears throat> by come, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Amen. So I uh, wanted to speak to you this evening on the subject of this verse, and the outline of most of this message is from uh, John Flavel's book, The Fountain of Life, A Display of Christ in His Essential and Mediatorial Glory. And uh, we've been enjoying that in Sunday school. It's 43 messages he preached to his congregation uh, in the 1600s and on the person work of Christ. And uh, it's been kind of sweet. We've been studying it in Sunday school uh, in two uh, abridgments of the book and modernizations done by Stephen Yule. And the first is Christ in his threefold offices. We just finished the last two chapters. We're on his kingship, and, and we took a little bit of break in between. And I was looking at studying uh, for us pretty soon. Uh, the first chapter of Christ humbled yet exalted, which is chapter 18 in the original book, was chapter 1 of this book, and the, and the title of it was Christ's Humiliation in His Incarnation. And then we needed somebody to fill in tonight, and I was like, it just seemed like that belongs, you know, as a, uh, they were sermons originally, and, and, and I kind of apologize in Sunday school, sometimes I probably got carried away a little bit, because they're just so encouraging to think about Christ, and, and hopefully uh, these will be encouraging to you as, as well. Uh, he, he finished it uh, after a uh, uh, terrible plague had been on them for three years of pleurisy, and, uh, and, and it had just left them. And you know, we've had this terrible nastiness just leaving us. And so it, it kind of fits a little bit. It really shook up their whole world as they knew it, and you know, our world's kind of a little different you know, than it was before three years ago. So, so here we are leaving an undesirable sickness, and uh, we've been setting this in adult Sunday school, and uh, it fit pretty well, I thought, and I really enjoyed Christ's kingship, and then uh, I, I had to give this uh, unapologetic ad for adult Sunday school that we're going to be studying some of these things if you uh, enjoy what we're studying this morning. Uh, Christ's humiliation in his incarnation. Uh, I want to consider with you tonight. And uh, from this scripture passage, uh, being found in human form, he humbled himself, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And first, we'll consider the passage. Uh, then we'll consider uh, six points of humiliation that Christ suffered in becoming incarnate for us. And then we'll look at some applications, uh, how, how you and I can, can maybe use these things to help us in, in our own lives. But uh, uh, in the introduction, I want to think a little bit about uh, Christ's three offices. And, and that's kind of how he, he started his book before and how they were interwoven with his humiliation, with his exaltation. So, so let's think a little bit about uh, first that, that Jesus Christ had to humble himself as a man so as a priest he would even have anything to offer up to God the Father. And then if he hadn't humbled himself as a man, he wouldn't have come to us as, as the great prophet like us and living among us, teaching God's perfect will for us as our prophet. And then, if he hadn't humbled himself as a man, he wouldn't have been suitably ahead as our king, being the king of men, and, and, and like men, uh, and understanding us 
and then uh, exalted as king to apply these to us as our redeemer uh, perfectly and effectively, subduing us and then protecting us and then defending us. So those, those offices kind of lead into this humiliation. And uh, so I, I want to tell you, I know very little about construction. Uh, but I'm told to build a great foundation, you have to build it deep and low. A good friend of mine, an, an old LaGrange builder, uh, Lynn Cody, described that he would dig down until he found untouched dirt. And then he would take a picture of that dirt probably for insurance purposes, I don't exactly know. But, but then after he found that untouched dirt, he would pour that foundation uh, upon it. And uh, that way the footers were strong and the foundation would be sturdy. In the past uh, few months, my daughter and son-in-law have been going through all these leaks. There's some defective pipe in their houses. And over the Christmas break, he actually replumbed his whole house and at night after working during the daytime. And... Uh, and anyhow, he had to rent a jackhammer because the pipes were in the slab and he had to run a new pipe through the slab to go to the island in the kitchen to make my daughter happy. And, uh, and, uh, and anyhow, he had this jackhammer and it was going along and, and all the concrete was busting up you know, pretty good. I mean, I'm sure it was not that easy, but it was, it was busting up pretty well uh, because just a few inches thick and then all of a sudden it was like, all of it was just shaking his hands apart and, and, and almost nothing was happening. And, and Dylan realized that he had hit a footer, a, a piece that the foundation was going to be built on. Usually he'd been, you know, several inches, you know, maybe in the regular part uh, of it. But then he hit this footer and it's 24 inches thick all of a sudden. And so it just wasn't going anywhere. And he just made a, a little pipe, big, a little path big enough for the pipe. Uh, but, but that's as far as it could go in that section because that footer was there. And, and, and these concrete parts of the slab are built around a footers, these deep patches of concrete to make a good foundation to build the house on. And so Philippians 2.8 speaks of a deep foundation for us. Christ in it goes so low that his glory is almost eclipsed. But before it, he, he did start with a great glory. In Isaiah 4.2, the prophecy speaks of him. In that day, the branch of the Lord shall be beautiful and glorious, and the fruit of the land shall be the pride and honor of the survivors of Israel. John 1.14, speaking of him, says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And Hebrews 1.13 adds, he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. So start it off in heaven, you know, of course, but, but with the great glory. But by the end of his ministry, he's taken very low. He quoted from the cross the 22nd Psalm. And if I could read to you now the first two verses, and then we'll hop down to the 6th and 7th verse. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? 
Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I find no rest. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me and they wag their heads. So he came from great glory to build a strong foundation in deep humiliation. Let's think now a little bit more about the text in Philippians 2.8. First, the nature of his humiliation. The text says he humbled himself. No one made Jesus Christ do this. He humbled himself. You see there himself, the reflexive pronoun. He did it to himself. He, he really did become a real man. Humbled to do that, and he did it voluntarily. So God the Father could accept a free will offering from Christ his Son and see how much he loves us to come willingly, to come sacrificing like this. He humbled himself. Secondly, the degree of the humiliation. It was all the way to death. Not just any death, but humiliating, shameful, low, painful death of a cross. And, and he did it to death. He, he became a corpse for us, a dead man. Thirdly, the duration of this humiliation started from the beginning of his incarnation and went all the way through a life of perfect obedience and then this death on the cross and then beyond that cross to grave. And, and, and as a corpse there in the grave, all the way up until like the, the very first little bit of his quickening, but coming back alive. That was the length of it, the length of the humiliation. The whole earthly life and ministry up to his terrible death. So in this, in this message, we want to consider now the truth of Christ's great humiliation in his incarnation. And we're going to consider it in six ways. The first, he was greatly humbled by becoming a creature. Before that, he was God forever. As Pastor Boyd spoke of this morning, God blessed forever becoming a creature. What a, what a mystery. I mean, how something like this could happen. In the Old Testament, they built for him a temple to dwell in, and, and they couldn't hardly believe he would come and live inside that temple. Solomon said in 2 Chronicles 6.18, but will God indeed dwell with man on the earth? Behold, heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you. How much less this house that I have built. They couldn't even believe he'd come live in the temple. And now he's come down to be a creature. To be a creature. Flavel notes that the world's creator, who was called the Ancient of Days, now has become a child of just a few days. In the book of Daniel, the Babylonian king's wise men couldn't interpret the dream. So they told him to the king, does God come and dwell among flesh? It's like an axiom. I mean, this doesn't happen. I mean, we can't even interpret your dreams. I mean, this, this can't, we can't do it. What if the sun left its place? and turned into just 
the nucleus of an atom? Or what if an angel left heaven and turned into a fly or a worm? This would be low. But it'd still be a creature just becoming a different creature. We're talking about the distance between the creator and a creature. Creator and a creature. It's infinitely greater. What's great to us? What, what do we think is great out there? Maybe a nation is great. Was on a hat, wasn't it? Make it great again. All right. Recently we visited Thailand. They had this grand palace. It was very beautiful. Um, Really cool. But listen to what God says about the greatness of nations. In Isaiah chapter 40, verse 15 to 17. Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket and are counted as dust on the scales. Behold, he takes up the coastlands as fine dust. Lebanon would not suffice for fuel, nor are the beasts enough for a burnt offering. All the nations are as nothing before him. They are counted by him as less than nothing in emptiness. It's not just the nations, but, but the greatest of all these creations on earth are still nothing compared to the creator. And now, this creator has come down and become like a creature. And he'll take on all aspects of being a creature fully creature how humbling for the creator but secondly he didn't pick the best creature he humbled himself by taking on a, a lower creature not an angel the angels were the highest the angels were considered the most excellent of the heavenly beings but he skipped over that and became a man Man is lower than the angels, according to Isaiah 2 and Psalm 8. Man is made lower than the angels. Angels are in heaven. Angels are fighting with the heavenly hosts. Angels can look on to the glory of God and live, but they were bypassed. And in creation, he came to a lower creature, a lower creature. He added to his deity humanity and took a second nature, fully God, fully man, the nature of a creature lower than the angels. But thirdly, he took on human form as humans were after the fall. Romans 8.3 says, he came in the likeness of sinful flesh. Not sinful, not, not in sinful flesh, but into human form after the fall, when it had the, the marks and the damages of the fall on it, the miserable effects, the pain and the consequences that mankind bears now after the fall. He came in that humankind, in that humankind. He was born holy, conceived by the Holy Spirit. We talked about that some this morning. Into the womb of the Virgin Mary, 
The powers on high form Christ, so sanctified and perfect, there was no spot, no taint, no anything of sin in him. Yet, he had all of the human sufferings and infirmities on him. He knew hunger. He knew thirst. He knew what it was to be tired. He knew pain, weakness, groanings, temptations, and yes, death. He wasn't a sinner, but he looked like one and he suffered like one. He came, he came up so close to sin as could come by holiness. He took on the likeness of Adam. He looked like sin, but he was sinless. He was not defiled, but he was defaced. So he could be our high priest. So he could be fully qualified. So he could be filled with tender compassion for us. But great grace in this humiliation, in his incarnation. But fourthly, when, when he came as God, passing the angels and the sinful man, his, his godhood was veiled, and, and he allowed himself to be humbled in that way. Philippians 2, 6, uh, up, up a couple of verses says, he, Though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality as something to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant. Serp, servant. So he was poor, hungry, thirsty, weary, traveling around with 12 poor men, but he was the creator God and the king of kings and choosing to come and, and be this way. We, we would all rather be humans than worms, but he was described as so unlike God in his suffering that he was described as a worm. From all of eternity, he had been with the Father in glory. God the Father always smiling at him. The angels worshiping him always as God. And now he would be a footstool. Only occasionally did his deity get allowed to shine forth in his incarnation. John 1, 11, 14 say, He came into his own and his own people did not receive him. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. There were glimpses from time to time, but generally he was disguised. They say a prince or king can do that and go and be out among his people in, in disguise and uh, walk around his subjects, but they not recognize him. And that's kind of what he did, walking along us, uh, not fully recognized. So though he was the prince, he was treated with contempt and scorn. Fifthly, he was humbled in being distanced from the Father. He had perfect joy. He had perfect pleasure for all of eternity with the Father. He was close to God here, indeed, by faith. But there he was close to God by sight. It was sight, there all the time, continually. You know what it is to have ups and downs. But before his incarnation in heaven, it was, it was, it was all ups, continually. 
uninterrupted. Before coming here, he never cried out, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? When he was in heaven. Sixthly, even coming as a man, he came in a low and humble position. He chose it. He, he chose his parents. We Usually they say you can't choose your parents, but, but he could, you know. Uh, but they were what we would call very ordinary. He didn't come to the rich. He didn't come to the princes. He came to a poor woman engaged to a carpenter. He, he didn't have any of the advantages a prince would be expected to have as he came. It wasn't even his mom's home. They had to go and be registered for this census in, in a, they ended up in an inn. It wasn't even in the inn, it was in the stable. And there is in the manger. There is in the manger. 2 Corinthians 8 9 says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor. He became poor. Well, what can this mean to us? What can this mean to us? Well, first, I would say, let's look at this pattern of self-denial. When we consider how Christ humbled himself, I mean, we need to get over ourselves. I mean, it's not all about me. If that had been his attitude, it was awfully nice before this incarnation gig. I mean, he could have stayed there. The biblical advice to us in many ways, as you read through passages of Scripture, it talks about putting off and putting on putting off and putting on to, to change and, and, and we need to put off some thoughts and we need to put on other thoughts and, and starting here with the putting offs we need to put off the focus on ourselves he emptied himself taking on the form of service and we need to be done secondly with self pity feeling sorry for ourselves thinking we're always the victim this is a trap of the enemy to get us all focused on us and take our eyes off of him. Are we focused on our pleasure? What makes us happy? What, what we're successful at? What, what others think about us? What we are thought of at the job and the neighborhood? What they think of our family? How we're looking? Some sort of success or, or being crazy busy so maybe we can get that kind of success or just a little bit more? What if we didn't get things exactly our way? That's good to think about in this season. Of the incarnation. Look how low he stooped for us. He was the victim for us. For me and for you. The king of creation was the foot washer. He underwent all his humiliations in his incarnation for the ungodly 
to be ungodly for us. Well, secondly, considering about putting off things, we can't refuse the one who humbled himself in the incarnation. Christ came so low to save us, the ungodly. We can't refuse this. We had those neat pictures this morning in the message about the, the astronaut moving off from his uh, space station and drifting away, and he, and he couldn't do anything to get back. He was drifting away. He had to be rescued. And he needed a rescue. And, and then the fireman coming in, the person trapped in the building, to save him. Don't push him away. Don't dare push off this Christ who's come, humiliating himself to save us, the ungodly. The Jews of the Old Testament, they didn't get to see the sacrifice. What an advantage we have. How, how much they could judge us for all that we've seen now. The pagans today in the, in the lost lands, they, many of them still have never heard the name of Jesus. What an advantage we have, how they could judge us for all that we've seen and all that we've heard. Satan and the fallen angels have no redeemer. What an advantage we have. How much they condemn us, could condemn us if we reject and refuse this great offer of salvation that he's given for us. If we reject this great offer of salvation, we're without excuse. We'll have no excuse. We need to put that away. We need to put that away. But there's some application of things we need to put on. Let's talk about three of those. We talked about putting off. Some thoughts from the incarnation need to be put on. We need to start thinking about these things to, to really enjoy them. To enjoy these. Putting on these last three applications can help you find sweetness in the truth that Christ was humiliated in his incarnation. We need to put on believing in him for the promises we haven't yet seen accomplished. It was over 4,000 years from when he promised that the seed of the woman would bruise or crush the head of the serpent. Something a little less than that from when Abraham got that promise. Abraham, I will bless you and make you a great nation. And through you, all nations of the world will be blessed. It was a long time before those things got fulfilled in the incarnation of Christ. And it was fulfilled then. Those old, old promises. He went through such great trouble, leaving such great glory, humbling himself so low to keep these promises. And every other one of these promises in this book is going to be the same way with yes and amen. We need to believe them and trust them. He's going to bring them all to pass in the same way he did when he sent the Lord Jesus. He's going to bring all things to good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. He's going to keep every one of these promises. We can see now those have been fulfilled, even though it took God becoming man to do it. He left the glories of heaven to suffer humiliation, to keep these promises. How much more should we trust him now that he can keep all the rest of his promises in the future that we're still looking to see fulfilled in his coming glory? To believe in him. It takes sweetness that he has come incarnate 
just as he promised. Well, let's also put on and enjoy the fact that his incarnation brings sweet fruit to us. Sweet fruit to us. Man offended a holy God. We violated God's law in, in, in a terrible way. And God himself came and fixed that in the humbling incarnation of Jesus Christ. To satisfy the wrong by himself, God did it. Christ has kept the whole law and made a perfect offering. If all of us had died and made an offering for our sins, it wouldn't have been enough. It wouldn't have meant anything. But God has come and fulfilled and made this offering by the humiliation and incarnation of Jesus Christ so we wouldn't perish in our sins. Flavel notes, if all the stars are blocked by clouds, that's, you know, one thing. Those stars, you know, you can't see them with the clouds. But when there's a solar eclipse, that's something else. That's a big deal. The, the sun is totally blocked out. Well, Jesus Christ's great glory got eclipsed in his incarnation humiliation for us. He stooped so low that our joy could be so high. The foundation was poured so very deep that he could build for us a house of great joy and a home in heaven. This is something we need to put on. Thinking about this, thinking about these thoughts, and uh, fifthly, he became incarnate, and this is a thought to put on, so that we could glorify and enjoy him forever. Forever. Westminster Shorter Catechism, question one. What is the chief end of man? Answer, man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. It's about enjoying him, giving him glory. He's been so gracious to us in the incarnation in part so that we can enjoy him, that he could be so wonderful to us that, that all those other thoughts we were trying to put off and we talked about earlier could be crowded out by thinking about him and what he's done for us and humbling himself for us could crowd those other thoughts out and could fill us with joy and know that we would be satisfied forever in glory to think on those things. We were separated from him. But now through his blood and flesh, his incarnation, he's coming and he's broken through the veil so that now we can bring our prayers to the Father. He's brought us his word. He's brought us the Lord's Supper. It's picturing his incarnation to us. And we can taste of it and we can see and we can remember that God is good He's provided for us, and our salvation is sure and satisfied by his incarnation, and we will be near before him forever and with the Father who is ready and able to help us. Through his incarnation, we have been set free from sin, death, hell, and the grave. So we'll have glory with him in heaven 
forever. Let's think on these things.